Transforming Terrigen Mists and Terrible Bad Guys, or welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel, the Ms. Marvel episode. This is the podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life watches a Marvel movie or a TV show and then quizzes another comedian, this one who was taught to read with Marvel comics. This one is a Marvel expert. Hello and welcome to the show. We're talking... Kamala Khan and Ms. Marvel in this episode. My name is Rob Holden. I am uh, the Marvel expert half of the equation, and I'm joined as ever by a man who's powered by ignorance. It's Will Preston. That's me. Powered, uh, enthused, some would say completely conceived by ignorance. Conceived by ignorance as well. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, I'm going to uh, uh, apologize up front because I can feel it coming on. I'm coming down with the evil lurgy, uh, something not quite right. I, I apologise if I sound overly stuffy, if I uh, break into coughing fits and, and stuff along the way. I should apologise too. As, I'll try and minimise that as much as possible. Why? Oh, I, I, I went to a boat party last night on the Thames and didn't get home till 3am. Oh, you silly boy. I know, silly boy. But I spent so much time screaming to music that I uh, <coughs> sound sexy. <laughs> Up to three AM without alcohol is I cannot imagine. Oh no, I I I had alcohol. I was oh. very cheap. It was a synth wave boat party on the Thames, and it was incredible. Just remember that the next time he's banging on about sobriety, you should remember yeah. he's he, he pick, he's a pick and mix sobriety. <laughs> um, a lot of sobriety light. <laughs> this is an immense show. I'm so excited to be able to do this because. Look, we get to uh, play around with Morbius and uh, Howard the Duck and Man-Thing. It's really cool when we get to do an episode about something that's on the air that and that we love every week, because we love this show. This show has absolutely been fantastic. Mm. Um, me and Will have both been uh, getting our kicks each and every week with Ms. Marvel. So this is uh, a really special kind of way to do it, and it's, it's, it's got some, we've got some really cool things to chat you about, guys. Um, coming up on the show, we're going to go behind the scenes of Marvel's latest TV series on Disney+. Plus. Will's going to take us through that. We'll go behind the page uh, with a special look at one of the most important Marvel characters of all time. I don't mince my words on that one. We'll find out... How Kamala Khan smashed barriers, became a success, and fought racism in the real world. Plus, tons of trivia and history about Dijin, about uh, Carol Danvers, shapeshifting, and the Inhumans. It is all to come on this episode. Don't make make sure you don't go anywhere. Stick with us. Um, have us on while you're doing all the chores, all the driving, all the commuting, all the exercise, all the gym work. Everything you need to do, that's what we are here for. And uh, we certainly felt that with the, the last episode. Someone pointed out that we we made an episode about Morbius longer than the movie uh, itself. Yeah, that's what we do. We've got to put the groundwork in. Yes. We've got to we've got to work out. We've got to work on the history of vampires in 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 comic books. We've got to work on the history of horror at Marvel. We've got to talk mm. about Michael Morbius's little tiny bat nose that he had his entire <laughs> life. We've got to do it all. We've got to debate the movie as well. We've got to look exactly. at the, I mean, the production side of Morbius, 
How many times was that film delayed, even after the pandemic was over? We've got to talk about the memes. We've got to do it. We've got to give you the full context on each of these steps on the Marvel journey that Will is on, and that you guys are on as well. Um, and we get to do it about something we really enjoy this this episode, so it's uh, it's really pretty cool. Um, speaking of really pretty cool things, uh, Willie P., Yes, I am. Um, you're not cool. just appearing on uh, Bar- Thames Barge Riverboat Parties. You're also appearing <laughs> at a, a large number of uh, of comedy nights around London, sometimes abroad. Yes, uh, some sometimes abroad. Um, I, mostly, in, obviously, I'm in the UK for the upcoming ones. Uh, I'm doing a lot of uh, my uh, of, of show, solo shows uh, next month, <clears throat> so get ready for that. Uh, in, on the lead up to Edinburgh on Wednesday the sixth, I'm doing my solo show at the Star Inn in Guildford. I think that's the back room. Uh, that's at seven thirty. Uh, and on the seventh and eighth of July, I'm in Buxton for Buxton Fringe. I'm at the Green Man Gallery uh, at eight thirty on the seventh. So there's the seventh and eight o'clock on Friday the eighth. And on this is just having a look now. Uh, I'm oh, oh, I'm not doing my solo show. I'm just doing a regular spot at comedy at Ye Old Foundry in Dudley on Monday the 11th. Uh, I'm at Hellfire Comedy in Romford on Tuesday the 12th, just doing the regular spot. And then on Friday the 15th of July, I'm doing my solo show for Tunbridge Wells Fringe at the Green Duck Coffee House and Bar at 6 p.m. Up to Dudley, are you? Hey, yeah. Up to the Midlands. The West Midlands, the best Midlands. Is it now? Uh, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, Tolkien didn't write... It was not inspired by the East Midlands, was he? <laughs> no. Um, and of course, when you see Will Preston in person, you can identify yourself in the best way possible. Yes. By wearing one of our signature Marvel versus Marvel t-shirts. They are out and available right now. Uh, me and Will are strapped up right now wearing ours for the record. Um, and man, it, it, I, I'm, I don't like days when I have to choose a different shirt to wear. I'm not happy with it. Some of these, uh, some of these bright, hot, sunny days, I'm thinking I need to put on a white one. Maybe I need to go and get myself a, a version of it in white. Maybe I need to go and get myself a version in bright red or blue or all the colors are available this is your last month to get hold of these t-shirts gang yes um they're only available until the 31st of july you head over to offworldtees.com slash mvm and you can get your hands on them we've got all kinds of different fits we've got all kinds of different sizes um, we've got all kinds of different colours as well that you can select and choose from. Uh, and the two distinctive designs, Will is currently sporting uh, his own personal catchphrase mm. that he never says, <laughs> which is powered by ignorance. Um, and it's got a cool little mini MVM logo at the bottom in the box, Indeed. as designed by Peter J. Um, and I am sporting the uh, the other one, which features our, our, our kind of brand new cool MVM logo, the Speech Bubble logo. And uh, again, designed by Peter J. And then perfected by the guys at Offworld Tees. We've got to really shout out the team over there who do an incredible job on all that. Their design work is just really cool across the board. Yeah. Um, but especially, uh, I think, I, I just love what they've done on these these uh, these kind of uh, rough sketches that Peter J came up with. 
and then those guys over at Offworld Tees perfected them. It's the perfect thing. Look, you're not allowed to listen to podcasts in the nude. No, no. We know that. It's illegal. That's a fact. It's illegal. It's illegal. And our podcast, I mean, we say uh, our law is you can have no bottoms on. That's fine. Yeah. We, we don't mind about that. But you're not allowed to be topless when you listen to Marvel versus Marvel. No, put a top on. It, Put it uh, we, we, we're a, a family show. We're an ethical program. We're a sustainable ethical grass-fed program. Yeah. And we don't uh, abide by topless people yeah. I mean, when they're listening to us. We have hashtag no gatekeeping, <coughs> but when it comes to toplessness, we, we gatekeep that. You've you got to yeah. have a top on. Uh, don't free the nipple. Cover the nipple right up. Forget the nipple. I want, I want them nipples gone. Yeah. Uh, and you've got to do it with an MVM t-shirt. You've got to wear something to listen to this podcast. It needs to be an official Marvel versus Marvel t-shirt, which again, you know, you've not got long. The clock is ticking as we now uh, careen into July. So head on over to offworldtees.com slash MVM. Let's take a trip now, guys. Into the mind of a man who's never read a Marvel comic before in his life. Um, I can already anticipate how angry he's going to be with me during parts of this episode when he forgets that this is something he agreed to do. The format of the show, folks, is that I've read a lot of Marvel comics and Will Preston has read none. We're both still equal fans of Marvel because that's how it works. Um, the vast majority, in fact, Will's in the majority. The vast majority of Marvel fans have never read a Marvel comic. Doesn't make them any less of a fan. And we like to uh, break that down the dichotomy of the two fandoms here, or the, the single fandom, but kind of the two branches, the two different f- uh, clans of fandom, clash of fandom. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, as all the medicine on, I'm a bit away with it today. We like to get those opposing views and those differing views on characters. Um, and Kamala Khan is a new, one of the newest characters we've ever looked at here on MVM. Um, I can't think. Yeah, she's um, she's even newer and fresher than Kate Bishop. So, um, yeah, a very a very recent addition to the uh, the Marvel universe. Will, before this series was was coming out, had you ever come across? Because she has had some crossover uh, things into the the real world. Has you have you come across Ms. Marvel before? It, well, before I think people mentioned her, but I remember when the uh, Avengers video game was coming out because the focus <clears throat> was Ms. Marvel. You play as Ms. Marvel. Yeah, that. she's the POV character. She, yeah, she? she's the POV character. So that that uh, brought her to my attention a fair bit. But apart from that, not really, not really. She's uh, a character that's always been in the periphery of my Marvel vision, if that makes sense. And yet, and yet, we talked about Morbius, and you'd never heard of Morbius in, until this show, show started. Not until it was Morbin so time. She's a she's a, a newer addition to the uh, the Marvel universe, but yes. one that's already broken through. In a, in a kind of a mate, you know, in a way that, that that got you and got your attention. Yeah. And I, I, I hear. I mean, I, I, I got that uh, Avengers video game. I, I played it. I enjoyed myself. But <laughs> gaming people tell me I'm wrong. Uh, what, what, well, what, what are the issues with it? Um, 
I think it was in uh, what was it? Incredible <clears throat> buggy was one of them. Uh, the fact that there's a it's a very repetitive game. It was another, and it just feels like a uh, like a like a internet multiplayer online game that isn't multiplayer or whatever. It's it, and I watched a gameplay video of it, and I was like, uh, I can see myself getting bored of that very quickly. It's. It, it's a game that's always on sale on Steam for very cheap. And, and every now and again, I think, oh, should I get it? And then if I mention it, people just go, no, I wouldn't play this game if you paid me. It's it's incredibly... But isn't that all just echo chain? I mean, quite frankly, I, I find all the advice given to me by gamer people is mm. essentially, if it's not like this long role-playing thing that I specifically like, <laughs> then it's a bad game and it's dull. And it's it's you know I mean uh, games are repetitive. I don't know. I, I, I try to listen to the right people and try to ignore the masses when it comes to video game reviews because people are so oh they're so extreme about everything. But even people but, who are like fairly balanced were like, no, it's not good. <laughs> but that led you to enjoy Red Dead Redemption. Red Dead Redemption thing is that great. has ever blighted my life. Hey hey, the first. Five hours are quite a slog. <laughs> oh my god! But once you get into the, into it, it's actually an incredible game. It just it's just an incredible slow burner. I I was hating it at one point. I was hating it. I was like, why am I playing this? I remember the previous game being great. Why am I stuck in the <coughs> snow with a bunch of whiny rednecks? Quite an achievement, anyway, for a new character <laughs> to sort of headline or star. Um, on the uh, is the main titular, well, not titular, I suppose, but the main POV character in a major uh, kind of uh, video game release. Mm. Um, Will, can you take us behind the uh, behind the scenes on this one, please? Okay, so in May 2012, there were conflicting reports about a Miss Marvel script in development at Marvel Studios. In March 2014, Kevin Feige. No, 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 no. In in May in in, in May 2012. Yeah. The character didn't exist in May 2012. I mean, it's possible they're talking about the Carol Danvers version of Ms. Marvel. Ah, that could be it then. That could be it. That's interesting. So 2012 is when Carol Danvers in the, in, in, in the comic books is renamed Captain Marvel for the first time. She, okay. She's been Ms. Marvel up until 2012. Right. So I imagine that's actually talking about a Carol Danvers project. Too many Marvels. <clears throat> Too many Marvels, mate. We've got to calm it down. Well, that's why we've got another movie called The Marvels, because there's going to be three of them. They, <laughs> there are too many Marvels in this Marvel Cinematic Universe. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. But anyway, in March... That'll be a reference to something, folks. The It'll Simpsons. be a reference to it, something. It's there a we line go. from The Simpsons, Rob. It's a line cool. from The Simpsons. Does it, did it scratch the itch inside your broken mind? Nothing did scratches it? the itch, Rob. Oh, that's God. why I keep that's saying why I have them to keep and never it. stop. I can't <laughs> not do it. It's a horrible compulsion, Rob. Stop making fun of my what problem. Happened. What happened is he broke a, <laughs> uh, a lamp. 14 years ago, yeah. and he was cursed ever since. Cursed. Uh, anyway, in March 2014, Kevin Fig confirmed, uh, we've got a lot, we've talked a lot 
about the character headlining their first film with the female protagonist while acknowledging she had taken on the mantle of Captain Marvel in the comics. So that's more about uh, Captain that, Marvel. That's about Karen, Karen Danvers, Karen Danvers yeah. Sorry, it just gets confusing when they swap names. Anyway, on May 12th, 2018, in an interview with the BBC, Kevin Figg revealed that there were plans to introduce Ms. Marvel into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, saying Captain Marvel's filming... Uh, right now with Brie Larson uh, Ms. Marvel which is another character in the comic books the Muslim superhero is in, who is inspired by Captain Marvel is definitely sort of in the works we have plans for that once we introduce Captain Marvel I don't like that quote it's definitely sort of. of it's sort of but not really also, definitely sort I, of I, I think def- that sounds like a, uh, an album title I was literally That's just the- about to say definitely sort of is my favourite <coughs> Oasis album oh, you. <laughs> like you, you, you tripped in there like no 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 I've, I've, I've got this I've got this leave me alone also it's the first MCU project to cast an actor as the titular character who does not have any prior acting experience she's not done anything before I looked it up. I had to have a look, and like she's uh, directed like some short films. One of them, she wow. played herself, and so that's she's, made, she's making her own stuff, making her own way. That's yeah. incredible. I think because she's so good in this. Oh, she she is brilliant. We'll get on to uh, when we talk more about the show. But I read somewhere that I think her auntie pushed her to do a do a, uh, like a audition. And I think she got the uh, the call from Kevin Feig, and it was like, oh. <clears throat> I, I can't be there too soon because I've got a math test or something like that. Wow. <laughs> but it's incredible. That is, that is, that is amazing. Uh, on May 3rd, 2022, it was announced that because Disney Plus had not yet launched in Pakistan, the series would be released theatrically in that country in three parts that would consist of two episodes each and be released on June 16th, uh, June 30th and July 14th, respectively. That kind of reminds me what happened with the 1970s Spider-Man in this country. Apparently, it, mm. got re- it was a TV show, but it got released in the cinema. Yeah, that one is... See, that one, there's a lot... I've tried to do an awful lot of digging on that. It's up and down, because there are lots of people that say, no, I definitely saw it on television. <laughs> so, it, it, it it's hard to get to the bottom of it. Hard to but, get to the bottom but, of yeah. it. Hey, some of these facts may or may not be true, but... They're good talking points. Uh, no, I, I, think, I think both things happened. I think it was repackaged oh. and released as a movie. Oh, that's for the 70s Spider-Man, yeah. Oh, I thought, I thought we were talking about Miss Marvel still. Nope. Okay, fair enough. Don't know why you thought that. Don't know why. Anyway, Matt Lintz, who <coughs> plays uh, Bruno Corelli in this, was almost cast as Spider-Man before Tom Holland was found. Holland was another unknown, wasn't he? If it, I mean, I don't... Well, the only thing I... He has a, fa- a fairly uh, successful dad, uh, Dominic Holland. Yeah, he's, he's a stand-up comic. But I don't, I don't know what Dom, uh, Tom Holland was in before he was Spider-Man. I think he was an unknown. I don't think he'd been in anything. I like notes. this finding unknowns it's unsurprising <clears throat> you, because when I mean, it comes Christopher to things, Reeve. it's like, oh, so and so should play him, and it's like, no, one, they're a bit young, and you need someone fairly unknown who's uh, young, basically. And 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 look, Chris, Christopher Reeve is the perfect choice for for Superman. Oh yes. because you don't project anything else onto the character. He's like um, he's a blank slate. Yeah, that's what you need. I, and I mean that in the night. You know, <laughs> blank slate could be quite a uh, horrible thing. Also, he was he was an incredible. He gave an incredible performance. Oh, man, that's not. It's not like oh, the main selling point of Christopher Reeve 
in that movie is that he's not been in anything before. The main selling point is he is stunning yeah, in that film. Go, go head to the archives, guys. We've got a four-hour episode on the Superman movie, the birth of the superhero film, the birth of superheroes in comic book form. We want to dig into the history of Marvel. You've got to go all the way back to the start, and that's what we did. Um, yeah. So, anyway, Bisha K. Ali, the writer for Ms. Marvel. I got I got that right, didn't I? Um, she's... Uh, I think she's the head writer and a producer. I'm... Because of the way the, um, the American... Um, Showrunner was a term that got thrown around. Yeah, because the way the American writer's room works, yeah. you don't tend to have... I, I don't know if you'll be able to say she wrote every episode. You generally have someone that... The, she's the, the yeah the showrunner the head of writing mm. and then you'll break the story and then individual writer or teams of writers will write individual episodes. What, a, what an interesting process. But I don't know. I don't. I haven't done all of this, so I don't know. I just mean that's in general how a writer's room works in America. Mm. Whether that applies to this series or not, I don't know. Yeah, I would rely on someone else to do that research for me. <laughs> but here we are. Here we are. We got some information. Just make of it what you can. So she, she's the writer. Uh, we'll just say writer. Uh, she used to be uh, Bishop Kate Alley. Used to be on the stand-up circuit in London and Manchester. I know people what who've happened? known her. Yeah, I. <clears throat> I'm not saying that I knew her. Knew her. I'm. A fa- I, I. She looks incredibly familiar. I and the name is familiar. I think we've crossed paths at gigs, but you know, I, I don't think I'd lay any real claim on that. Other than the time that she was gigging around, I was in Manchester gigging a fair bit. So I, I think it makes sense that I would have crossed paths with her. Again, the name is very familiar to me. Um, but yeah. Absolutely, yes. And then she soon got into TV writing in LA, writing for the Four Weddings uh, series and the smash hit Netflix show Sex Education. She's done well. She's have done you seen well. Sex Education? I've heard it's very good, but I haven't seen it. I have, I have a thing about I think watching it's comedies fantastic. with young people. It's fantastic. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even think of it as a comedy. Really, I don't think it's a comedy. Okay. It's 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 a drama. It's it's kind of a it's a teen. It's like a teen drama. There are light, funny moments in it. Yeah. But if you go in going, this is a sitcom, or fu- this is going to be funny, funny. Yeah. It won't hit the same way. I. It is. It is really. It's just. The intent behind it is so good. Mm. The way it speaks to young people about sex is so good. And relationships and all of it. Like, that is incredible. And then on top of that, it's got that all that good kind of like... um, Tugging at your heartstrings, kind of uh, teen soap dramery stuff. It's great. I'm 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 a fan, and ev- like everyone in it is great. Like the performances are are really really good across the board. No, I've I've heard nothing but good things. But I just I, it's a it's a weird thing of mine. If like oh, it's a program and it's young people playing young people. I'm very like. Uh, I, I like old jaded people. I like watching shows about old jaded people. Yeah. I, I I don't know. There, there's too much optimism and hair. <laughs> Will Preston hates the. Young. I got some bad news for you about the demographic of this show, buddy. Yeah. It's nothing but young people. <laughs> I know. They should all keep their distance, whatever podcast distance is, and just leave me be with your optimism and your youth. Sickening. Anyway, we love you. We don't. This is that is not that is not what the company thinks. It's not that what the is com- just the opinion of a bitter old man. <laughs> 
Will's opinions do not speak for Marvel versus Marvel no. as a brand. We believe in the youth. Anyway, <laughs> no, we love you guys. You're all good. Uh, on writing a show about a Pakistani teenager, uh, Ali said, her world is really grounded with her family and high school and her community. I had so many embarrassing stories from being a teenager, and we were really sharing all of our embarrassing stories in the writer's room. It was important that what she's going through felt universal. She's adjusting to the negotiation of being a teenager where you're negotiating the boundaries with your parents. You're not wanting to hurt them, but you're also wanting to stand up for yourself. All of those things are deeply universal and things I think we've all been through. I mean, it really shows, doesn't it? It absolutely shows in this. It does, yeah. I mean... Yes, it really does. I'd say it takes, uh, as we'll get on to, it takes a huge amount of inspiration from the comic book. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, when speaking about the character of Kamala, Ali also said, hopefully we did a good job translating in the script how she's deeply optimistic and she's so joyful. This character, her outlook and her psychology and her fantasy life was so vital to bring to life because that's what makes Kamala Kamala. We have a whole new generation of Marvel fans who grew up on the last 10 years of storytelling and that's exactly who Kamala is. She gets to represent them and that's really thrilling. That's a key thing in yeah. the comic. Um that 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 Kamala is a fangirl. Um and you know or at 2014 we're not quite at the uh, mega level Marvel MCU fandom is now because it had only been how many years four or five six years or so um of of the MCU but it was still a thing. Yeah. Um and of course slightly more has happened in the comic book world than in the the MCU but that's a key part of the character yeah absolutely uh, on the differences between the character on screen uh, to the original comic Ali also said that's a big old question and look I get the vibe I'm also a huge fan of the comic books and I know what it's like to be a fangirl it was a huge decision it certainly wasn't me rocking up and being like let's throw out the powers that's not my vibe at all it was a big conversation between me and kevin and sana right from the start of how we translate this to the screen the thing that was really vital to me was that in the comic books her powers are inherently connected to her internal journey how she feels about herself how she's navigating the world how she perceives herself whatever we change uh, them to have to have the same connectivity with her psychology and the journey she's going through and the way she sees herself i think we really accomplished that i think if fans can give it a chance they might see our reasoning the other piece of it is looking at the at the marvel of it all and how we have this legacy of visual storytelling in the mcu it's a different story than what exists in the comics. What's important for Kamala in this show and in the future is that it all links up and is connected. So the power changes were hotly debated. I mean, that was the number one thing I heard when it was when the trailer came out and it was announced. Yeah, I, I, I looked at the power changes and and they just went, oh, they just turned her into Green Lantern was the main like thing, and they, they they're saying it so negatively, like that's like. Like this, like this, this is the main reason to hate it or something, and I just don't well, get it. I don't. <coughs> excuse me. I don't get the. Well, we're li- we're living very fully, 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 fully in the Marvel backlash era, one hundred percent now. Everything, every time a new Marvel thing is announced or released or a trailer comes out, the 
on 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 Twitter, and I guess on Reddit and all those other you know dark places. <laughs> It's negativity first. Yeah, Um, negativity sells. It gets clicks. clicks. Let's not forget that 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 uh, represents a tiny, tiny percentage of people that are watching and enjoying things. Um, But yeah, it was the story when this came out, and it looks like there was an awful lot of kind of not quite damage control, but uh, let's get some comments on this. um, Hit the hit the press. Absolutely. When it came to translating the energy of the comic books onto the screen, the directors said that they were struggling to find a solution that worked until they saw another Marvel movie about a teenage superhero, 2018 Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. The animation of Kamala's emails, text messages and imagination was not present in the script or in concepts, said director Adil El Arbi. We loved the comic books, the colours, the vibrancy. We wanted to convey her dream world on a visual level. When we watched Into the Spider-Verse, we were just imagining what would it be like to have a live-action version of that. It just seems appropriate to use that style for the show. El Arbi says they hesitated to bring inspiration from Sony's Into the Spider-Verse and its kinetic animation style to the grounded MCU. They were especially unsure how Marvel boss Kevin Figg would react. We were a bit nervous, El Arbi says. We didn't think Kevin Figg would go for, for it because it's so different. We did a whole presentation and explained why it was important to see the world through her eyes, why we needed to stop motion animation and murals coming to life. Surprisingly, Kevin went for it. He was convinced and loved it. He said, it's true to the character, so go for it. I think it's one of the strongest things about the show Absolutely. for me. Absolutely. I can also be. Uh, I can also imagine, imagine walking into an M- the MCU boss's office to say, we need to talk about Sony. Uh, we want to copy a thing that Sony have done. We think Sony did this better than we ever have, and we need to use it. Um, I, I don't know how to how to how you'd go about uh, bringing that, but I think the look of the show is very distinctive and it's really awesome. Um, and it's one it's was one of the big things that that hit me in the first episode. Um, how about you? It's it popped out so much for me. It felt like. Uh, Edgar Wright, um, when he did Scott Pilgrim, there was something like yeah. that to it. Yeah. I, I, I've read the comic book of Spot, Scott Pilgrim, but I I just couldn't get on with the film. I'll give it another chance one day because every, everybody loves it. Oh, I love that movie. Not everybody. Um, there, there, there's a backlash. Scott Pilgrim gets a backlash that a lot of things do where people go... Hey, but you guys, it's a bad film because he's a bad person. You go, yeah, that's the he's not a great person. That's kind of that's the point yeah, of that's, the that's the whole that's story. Yeah, um, my my <clears throat> was it the way I'd, I I need I'll give it another go one day. But it was just I think it, it's it's one of my favorite films. It's incredible. It felt a bit much for me. Uh, I I described it at the time as it's like being sat down. Uh, and being yelled at about video games by a guy who's had a monster energy drink. That's how it felt to me, and I love video games. That's perfect for you! I know! It sounds like my bag, but it was like, (coughs) no, it's too much, too much of what I like. I will give it another go. I will, because I enjoyed Edgar Wright's other movies. I I haven't seen uh, Last Night in Soho, but I've seen Baby Driver, I've seen the Cornetto trilogy, 
and I absolutely adore his style. But for some reason, Scott Pilgrim didn't didn't melt for me. But I noticed I noticed how similar styles were in this case, and it really really lent itself so well to Miss Marvel. To go behind the page on Ms. Marvel, we need to start with someone called Sana Amina, who is a Pakistani-American uh, comic book editor born and raised in Jersey City. Mm. Um, Amina didn't grow up reading um, superhero comics and stuff. Um, she began her career in magazine publishing um, and then found herself working for the short-lived Virgin Comics. Richard Branson had a comic book division at one point. Of course he did. That published uh, stories by people like Deepak Chopra, Garth Ennis, Guy Ritchie, Jenna Jameson, and, of course, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> um, <clears throat> she, um, she uh, Aminat spoke... There was a great article on Aminat done by uh, Vox... Um, the website, and they talked to her about how, at the time she broke into the comic book industry, it was a lot less welcoming than it is now. Mm. And that's, I think there's a, probably a big caveat on it being welcoming now, especially for uh, female comic book editors, especially for younger female comic book editors, especially for uh, younger female comic book editors that aren't, I imagine, white. And, but I also think... I think sex, gender, sorry, plays a, a quite a large role in 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 the the way it wasn't welcoming. Aminat said um, that it, she was faced with things like, "Oh, you didn't grow up reading comics like we did. Mm. Um, what do you actually know? Like, how do you know how to make a comic and 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 things like that." Um, Vox wrote quite nicely of, quite eloquently about it at the time. Um, this kind of gatekeeping doesn't start in ivory comic book making towers. Mm. It actually starts at local comic book shops. Men, especially straight white ones who read comic books, enjoy building exclusivity around the things they love. Mm. They believe only true fans know trivia like Captain America's birthday <laughs> or the full origin of Bova, a sentient cow turned midwife who lives on a mountain called Wondergore. Women often become targets of these nerdy pissing matches yeah. because their love of comic books is seen as more facile or shallow. I hope that this podcast is the antidote to that. I really hope that we are... I hope that our credo and our mantra is all about dispelling gatekeeping, um, which is why I, I think we kind of open the doors. And, and I, I, that's why... So much of our focus sometimes is it's on the important reasons of why comics matter and why they're cool, because an awful lot of the time people tell you comics don't matter, mm. and I think they do. But I also think it's important to go, like how Vox wrote that article, how mm. is a sentient talking cow something to be superior about <laughs> how these are a lot of these are insane characters and ridiculous stories and you know it's it's a weird thing to get superior about i think the ridiculousness of marvel helps dispel any um any stuffiness about it i would hope mm. um Aminat said that when she was growing up she she couldn't find anything on TV or in movies that she felt represented her. Everywhere I looked, particularly in the media and pop culture, 
There were versions of people that looked nothing like me. Mm. What happens is when you see that, you think that you're really not worthy enough mm. or you're not good enough or you're not normal. When she finally did discover comic books later in life, she was struck by the diversity in the, the X-Men, the 1970s and beyond X-Men with like Storm and Rogue, um, Nightcrawler to a degree, Professor X, she felt like Marvel Comics were offering a kind of representation to people who couldn't find it elsewhere. Um, Aminat eventually got a job working for Marvel Comics. She's part of that creative team in 2012, along with Kelly Sudaconic, who took Carol Danvers from a bit player and leveled her up. Carol Danvers was known as Ms. Marvel, um, we will get to the Carol Danvers story when we get to the Captain Marvel movie. Excellent. Um, but she was Ms. Marvel from the 70s on through to 2012 mm. when she was leveled up and given the the mantle of Captain Marvel. It sounds like Gandalf when he comes, becomes Gandalf the White. Ah. That's when... <clears throat> She not only took that new name, but she got a new costume, which is reflected in the movie. She becomes a major hero on the Avengers. All the things that we'd later see reflected in the MCU start in that 2012 series, uh, which Aminat was editor on. Um, in 2014, uh, Aminat has a conversation with another Marvel editor called Steve Wacker. Um, I was telling him some crazy anecdote about my childhood growing up as a Muslim American. He found it hilarious. Wacker basically kind of pushed Aminat to develop her childhood stories into a character. The project that would eventually become Ms. Marvel needed, needed a writer. needed someone who could not only write brilliant, exciting comic book stories, superhero stories, but also understood the, the, the perspective that was being attempted that of a muslim american mm. um g willow wilson um was a writer that was also born and raised in new jersey um although raised by two atheist parents wilson studied a number of religions while at college before converting to islam when she was working in cairo um wilson she'd found success uh with both prose novels and also graphic novels um she heard she actually write a, a, a it's called, um, is it Magical Realism or Realistic? Yeah, Magical mm. Realism. She'd written a, a Magical Realism book called Cairo, um, graphic novel, which is really interesting. Okay. And there is spirits and wizards and magic, Ooh. but it's modern-day Cairo. Ooh, nice. um, she'd also um, written Superman and Wonder Woman stories for DC Comics. Um, <clears throat> with, with Wilson and Aminat kind of working together, the character of Kamala Khan grew and was essentially born out of both their um, shared experiences, and, and, uh, and mainly Aminat, though. That's what I'm trying to get at. It's not very often that you have an editor so intrinsically involved in the creation of a character. It's normally the writer and the artist. Yeah, yeah. But not the case with this. Aminat said that the series um, came from a desire to explore the Muslim-American diaspora from an authentic perspective. What it's like to be a Muslim in America. A Muslim-American in America. A first generation, a second generation. Um, artist uh, Jamie McKelvey uh, was brought in to design the costume. This happens sometimes because... 
McKelvey didn't work on the series, but they brought McKelvey in to go, right, we need, mm. you need you to design the look of this new character. And he based Khan's costume design um, on, on an old Carol Danvers costume. Right. Um, when she was Ms. Marvel, like her second Ms. Marvel costume. Um, and Aminat requested that the design reflect the Captain Marvel legacy and also the story and background of Captain Marvel, but that it has a different bent on it. Mm. I mean, that's said that the, the, uh, the, the costume was uh, influenced, influenced by, I'm going to try and get this right, the chalwar kameez, which is the traditional um, trouser dress combination that you might see people wear, mm. um, worn by quite a lot of Muslim men and women in all different parts of the world where there is a... Uh, Trousers and a dress component. Um, ah, yes. And if you yeah. th- if you see what Kamala Khan looks like, Ms. Marvel looks like, they wanted the costume to represent Kamala's cultural identity, mm. but did not want her to wear a hijab because um, they believe that the majority of teenage Pakistani American girls do not wear one, so it wouldn't quite fit the character. Yeah. Like Aminat has also stated. And I feel this is really important that she wanted Kamala to look less like a sex siren in order oh, to appeal okay. to more vocal female readership. And I can't stress how important this is. Time and time again, when I've spoke to female friends about comic books, superhero comics, the major roadblock they have to even giving comic books a chance is the physical depiction of women in superhero comics. The the hyper-masculine, over-the-top presentation of men in tight costumes, that doesn't seem to put off young male readers. Mm. But our culture is, is is coded differently when we when it comes to like presentation and consumption of the female form. Mm. The male gaze, the female gaze, what constitutes which. Yeah. And the over-the-top way that women are drawn in majority of superhero comics reads as pure sexualization mm. <clears throat> and that is massively off-putting to uh, any female friend i've ever spoken to about it before they even get to the story Amanat wilson and mckelvey made sure that that isn't going to be a factor with the ms marvel character modesty was an important part an important choice like and it's written into the comic as well. Modesty mm. is part of her decision making process when she's picking out what to wear. Her initial costume is adapted from a burkini that she had, um, <clears throat> and that. So it's the intent on both sides of that. Yeah, and how you just removing this huge roadblock to getting young female readers to read the comic which is going to be the audience and and that's the target of that audience if if you go the sex siren route because that's how you know it's always been done or how an awful lot of female characters are drawn in in comics you're not going to you, you just man what is it that Gail Simone has written an awful lot about this we talked about Gail Simone when we were talking about women in refrigerators oh yes and, and and how they were treated, but if you if you like, you will drive female readers away if you don't give them cool, interesting things to do. Yes, and if you don't stop drawing them in a certain way. <coughs> Excuse me. Ms. Marvel was launched um, in in two thousand and fourteen as part of Marvel trying to rectify 
a problem that it had. Mm. We've had a quote on this show. I think during we talked about it during the Black Lives Matter protest yeah. when that was a big when that was um, really in the public consciousness. Stanley had this quote about how when they were getting criticism for introducing non-white characters, they Stan wrote in his soapbox editorial, Marvel's about trying to reflect the world outside the window. Right? In a way that DC Comics was not doing, mm. and was historically quite bad at, um, although it changed in the Bronze Age. But if that's the case, if Marvel is meant to reflect the world outside the window, then it was really failing to do that. Um, Marvel... Ms. Marvel is part of this era of Marvel trying to make moves and changes to be more reflective of the readership and of the world the readers experience. Steve Rogers retires as Captain America and is replaced by Sam Wilson. Jane Foster is deemed worthy of Mjolnir and becomes a new Thor. Ms. Mm. Marvel is launched. Um, Carol Danvers is like like becomes Captain Marvel, but is also she's positioned as like a major Avengers hero, which she hadn't been before. She's positioned as of equal standing to Iron Man and pretty much Tony Stark's opposite number. Uh-huh. Iceman, one of the original X Men, comes out as a gay man. Um, now maybe the decision to make these creative changes wasn't arrived at organically maybe the decision the multiple decisions were part of a corporate boardroom trying to make sure the company stayed relevant and 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 had the widest appeal i don't care because creatively these decisions were all smash hits and gave us brilliant and thrilling stories um so Representationism and diversity is important, but mm. so are cool, awesome stories, and they they achieve both these things. Um, and Ms. Marvel, just one second, I've got uh, it's my my throat is closing up on me. Hold on, guys, he's done a lot. I'll of be talking. right back. He's done a lot of talking. He deserves this. Ms. Marvel is not just a success; she is one of the biggest successes of recent times. One of the most important. Marvel characters they have ever created. The the monthly comic buying audience these days is really quite small. Yeah. Um most single issue comics only average around three thousand to five thousand copies per printing. Per printing. That's across the board, DC and Marvel. Mm. Three thousand to five thousand. Anticipation and demand for Ms. Marvel was really high before the comic came out. Marvel knew they had to print a lot more than 5,000. So Ms. Marvel issue one had a print run of 50,000 issues, 50,000 copies, sorry, of the same issue, and sold out completely. Marvel had to order a second print run of the issue. And then a third. They kept selling out. A fourth sold out. A fifth sold out. <laughs> by the end of the year, by the end of 2014, Ms. Hmm. Marvel issue one had received, had had to go through seven print runs. Oh, that is amazing. Seven. All of them selling out. That is a, that is a huge milestone 
in in any era of selling in any decade of selling comics but in the modern comics seven runs is unheard of it is unparalleled success at this stage for a new character like um and it wasn't just it wasn't just the 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 the, the single issues so it sold this huge number of, of physical copies of issue one marvel also announced it was the uh, Ms. Marvel issue one is the number was the number one seller of digital copies on their website and app, a trend that continued as the series progressed. It was always top, top, top seller, and Ms. Marvel was also a huge seller of trade paperback collections. Some people might call them graphic novels, not us here, but the trade paperback <laughs> collections that you'll find in a bookshop. You go to like the comic book section of your bookshop, and you've got these these. Um, paperback collections of like five four or five or six issues um and they tend to have a bigger audience because a bookshop is much more mainstream than a comic book shop Mm. they tend to be more on hard on on high streets and things like that buying from you know uh, whatever it might be i i I just realized if i said if i if i give the name of waterstones we alienate more than half our audience but You've got your online sales and you've got your traditional bookshops. Ms. Marvel was a huge seller of those paperback collections. Within a couple of years, the first all Ms. Marvel collections, she sold more than 500,000 copies of, um, of the trade paperbacks. A truly insane number, especially for a character that did not exist before, that has no movie and no TV show and has no history to draw upon. <coughs> excuse me. That's all right. Like, how was this? Ha- I'm not actually expecting a response when I say excuse me. That's it's okay. just a polite thing to say. Well, yeah. I don't need a response then either. Okay. How? God damn it! How? How was this happening? It is very, very clear that the only answer is new readers. This is why Kamala Khan is so important to Marvel. The comic book was attracting brand new readers. Ah, something that comic book companies have failed to do for decades. Something that Marvel have failed to do, even with their characters being in smash hit movies. Miss Marvel didn't just break barriers. She told, she smashed them. And it was joyful to see. And she started to have this wider cultural impact. In... January 2015 in San Francisco, there, there was this disgusting, I won't even say their real name because F them, Ooh. this disgusting anti-Muslim hate group masquerading as a political outfit or whatever. They were somehow able to buy adverts on city-owned buses and bus stops in San Francisco that their, their adverts equated Islam with Nazis. Oh, Disgusting thing to be able to... I cannot understand how it was legally allowed to do. NBC News reports that some glorious people or persons defaced every single goddamn one of these anti-Muslim adverts with images of Ms. Marvel. Oh, Kamala Khan. Wow. Kamala Khan graffitied on them with things that read... Stamp out racism. Free speech isn't a license to spread hate. Yes. And Islamophobia hurts us all. A groundswell. The year after. The, barely a year after she is introduced. And she's uh, part of this very interesting kind of cultural moment. 
in 2016, the, the, the White House had this celebration of Women's History Month. President Obama praises Ms. Marvel. Kamala Khan is a character. Um, Sana Amanat is there, and he praises her as well. And then, 2018, she makes it into the dictionary. In March of 2018, Webster's Dictionary added the word ambigan. Now, wait. Yeah. And it says ambigan, which first appeared in the lexicon in a 1996 episode of The Simpsons, was popularized in the pages of Ms. Marvel as an exclamation Kamala Khan makes when using her shape-changing powers. It's a perfectly cromulent phrase. Kamala Khan is Marvel. Yeah. She is the new Peter Parker, the modern-day Spider-Man. She is relatable to anyone that had awkward teenage phase, who didn't quite fit in, had, had, had a family who didn't quite get them and understand them and had different ideas for them. Mm. She's relatable to anyone who struggled to do the right thing. Kamala Khan smashed down barriers introduced a whole new audience to marvel and you will struggle to find a single character a single other marvel character as important as ms marvel we always love hearing from you guys um everything you want to tell us about the episodes you've enjoyed you've consumed the uh, your, your your highs and your lows the marvel things you've been watching recently and and getting into and we especially want to hear from anyone out there who's uh, grabbed hold of our awesome MVM t-shirts. We had to delay a lot of responses in the last episode because Morbius blew up our mailbag. Um, so we've got time to um, to delve in to some t-shirt responses and more in this episode. You can always drop us a line, marvel versus marvel at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at Marvel versus Will. What have you got for us in the mailbag? I've got quite a few. It's it's, it's the biggest mailbag on record. Um, no, it's not. It was last week, last month, last episode. I just got through saying how big it was. Oh no, no. I think. I, <coughs> okay, okay. Last one was big. Apparently, I have a very yeah, short it was memory. Huge. I, we had to delay loads of letters. Do you remember? Oh yeah. Hey guys, don't ever listen to me. <laughs> Rob's just exasperated now. It's like it's like three times in an episode the limit of where he just loses it and goes, "What the <coughs> hell's going on with Will?" Anyway, it's because I'm high on medicine. It's uh, no, we we we're fine. We're fine. Anyway, we've got a lovely bumper crop of letters in the mailbag. Uh, first one is from Tim Melton, who said, "I stayed up until midnight on June first, so I could order my MVM T-shirt as soon as they were released." That's what we want to hear. I felt like Willie P staying up late for the latest video game being released. But I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I don't. You used to though. I I have. Yeah, you did years ago. I might. Yeah, have. went. You went trotting down to game, didn't you? Oh, I did. I didn't do that. But like Steam, uh, when they they release a game, sometimes it's like, hey, it releases at three p.m. and it's like, oh, it's U.S. time. Well, I guess I'll leave the computer on and maybe check it in the middle of the night to see if it's downloading. But yeah, because I, I used to work in Rutherford in the uh, middle of town, town centre. It would be strange days when I'd finish work or finish drinking 
and you go out and go, why are there, why are there nerds in the streets at midnight? What's happening? I'm, I am, I'm disturbed by all the nerdness. <laughs> I'm drunk and I'm afraid. Yeah, we're very scary people. Uh, next letter is Charlotte P, who says, I love you guys. I love that you guys, sorry. I love that you guys have merch. I bought myself the MVM logo shirt this month and I'll be getting powered by ignorance in July. Although, both. Both t-shirts. Double dipping. Double dipping. That's what all of you should be doing. Although I don't know if I can wear that one on the street. The t-shirt... I've heard that a few times. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It, mm. it, does, it does send off some messages, I think. <laughs> uh, the t-shirts are awesome, but will you guys ever be doing mugs or hoodies? We, we, to level with you, Charlotte, we don't know. We've got an interesting deal right now with the guys off World Tees. Um, we, we just, we just gonna have to wait to see how, how it all goes. Uh, demand is key. Um, exactly. we will, yeah, we'll, we'll gonna perhaps have a little renegotiation with them. Um, or, or not. We, that's why we know July 31st is the last time we can guarantee we'll be doing anything. Who knows? Who knows what the future holds? Cool. We got a letter from Simon Anslow who says, I just wanted to write in and praise the really gorgeous new new MVM logo that you guys have. Hats off to Peter J for designing that. He's done an excellent job. When I heard you were releasing t-shirts, I just knew you'd be making Powered by Ignorance and have to say, it's not something I could see myself wearing on my chest. So Another was, one! Yeah, I know. I, I felt like we shouldn't have done that now. <laughs> No, people love it. People love it. So I was pleased when I saw you were making a standard shirt with the podcast logo on it. I would probably have bought the shirt whether I liked the new logo or not. Got to do the right thing. But as it turns out, <laughs> that logo is just so awesome. I studied art and design at uni and seeing the Ben Day dots on the V in your logo was very, very cool. An educated man <laughs> who appreciates the history of... Um... Art and design. A man of culture. Yeah. <laughs> Another, a man of culture. Yourself. A man of letters. A learned man. <laughs> yes. Uh, Tina T said, uh, "My T-shirt arrived yesterday. I immediately put it on, and I've not been wear- and I've been wearing it ever since. I don't think I'm ever going to take it off. Love having a piece of the show. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you, Tina. We got Mikey W. Hey guys, I thought I'd write to you." to give, uh, give you my thoughts on the Miss Marvel TV series. Firstly, I would like to preface this by saying that I'm a 40-something male of mixed uh, Oriental slash uh, British heritage, so I know that I'm not exactly the target demographic outside of being a Marvel fan who has, no, uh, who has had no exposure to the titular character. I don't know if you can say the O word these days, can you? Uh, yeah, it's not what I would have used at all, okay. but... Uh... That's fine. I, Mike, Mike can call himself whatever he wants. Mikey, whatever you say. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Anyway, I wasn't aware that the series had been released when I happened to spot episode one was available. And if I hadn't had a quiet evening, I might not even have watched it. With all that out of the way, I have to say that I'm glad I did because I'm absolutely loving this show. I've reached a point in my life where explosions and action scenes are all well and good. But what I really enjoy most in a program is heart and this show has plenty of it. I'm loving the aesthetic and visual style from the bright colours of the Khan family home to how Kamala's vivid imagination is brought to life. 
I'm enjoying her modified lantern-esque powers, which I know have been changed from the source material for reasons that likely have something to do with another family that are heading our way. I wasn't sure whether they would look uh, cheap or artificial, but they really do fit the colourful world that we are being shown. I'm also enjoying how the show is f uh, following in the footsteps of uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Hawkeye in showing us how the events of the MCU are being received and interpreted by the rest of the world. The Disney Plus shows are in a pos uh, perfect position to do this and it's a shame that more of them haven't given us these glimpses. What is really speaking to me is how we get a snapshot of life in Kamala's world which is so very different and foreign to what most of us are used to yet it still feels inclusive and welcoming. It's quite touching how they are broaching the subject of having a background from one culture or trying to live in another. As someone who grew up in two different worlds, I know how difficult it can be to live up to different expectations and values and how uh, that can often leave you feeling like an outsider. While this hasn't had the same impact on me as Shang-Chi did, and I'll get into that more when you actually cover it, I think that if shows like this had been around when I was younger... I might have felt more empowered and proud of who I was and where I came from. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Kamala's first adventure pans out and can't wait to see her take place in the wider MCU. Thank you so much, Mikey. An insightful letter. We really have the best uh, best fans of the business, we best do. listeners, best audience, I think. Um, drop us a line anytime you want, guys. Uh, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. <clears throat> at Marvel versus on Twitter. July is the perfect time, Will, to do the right thing. Did you know that? It, it's a perfect, it's the perfect time. Perfect time. Yeah, perfect. To time. do the right thing, man. Um, summer blockbusters left, right, and centre with us. Um, and of course, we we have so much going on on our Patreon. Big shout out to Peter J, to Mikey W, who you heard from, Randall Schmidt, George Bingham, to Zach Thomas, to Bast Beer, Sam, and Bindi. These are the top, top supporters of this podcast who uh, do the extra right thing each and every month. They know that over on Patreon, it's 45 bonus episodes available right now with more dropping every month. How many more? Two more. Two a month. Ooh. There's 15 editions of Obscure Marvel available to everyone that pledges their support. Even if it's just the basic, basic bottom level. There's 23 full-length bonus episodes if you're at the VIEP £10 tier. If you have sat there thinking, <coughs> I've listened to everything you guys have done. And it's, yeah, it's evergreen content. Yeah, I can go back and listen to a little bit more. But I need something fresh. I need something more. Well... If you uh, if you head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel, there's 23 full-length bonus episodes. We're talking World War Hulk. We're talking Secret War. We're talking the life, times, and crimes of Wolverine. We're talking the in full cosmic history of Galactus. We're talking about 1601. We're talking... About so many Avengers stories, X-Men stories, Spider-Man stories. It's all there. Uh, plus fun bonus episodes, mini episodes. 
Um, the Spider-Man Clone Saga is up there. The worst X-Men is up there. Mm-hmm. July, we've dropped our Obscure Marvel episode. Obscure Marvel is where me and Will dig into the most ridiculous characters in the Marvel Universe. Will, how did you like learning about Ulysses Archer, <laughs> Super Truck Driver? It Oh, God. It, it was entertaining. But as a character, it's like, what is going on? He has the power to be able to hear a radio in his head. God, that is... And to never stop driving them trucks. Uh, his superpower is he can drive a truck, folks. And he's a major Marvel character. Um, and uh, what's his adopted father's name? Oh, big something. Popper Wheelie. Popper Wheelie. <laughs> oh, I remember that. A wide load, Annie. Um... We drop uh, Obscure Marvel every month. We also drop a full-length bonus episode every month. And in July, well, there's a big movie about to hit the uh, the box office. Thor. Oh, I'm so looking forward to it. So we're delving into Jane Foster, Goddess of Thunder. We're going to dig into the uh, the comic book uh, the comic book saga that is Jane Foster wielding Mjolnir. Why is there another Thor? Why does she wear a mask? How is she worthy of Mjolnir? Who or what is trying to kill her? And what the hell has happened to the son of Odin? It's all there in our bonus, full-length bonus episode exclusively on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. We've really dug through the history of the show and this character. It's time to kind of uh, dive in some questions that Willie P has had, um, and I think that a lot of you would have from watching um, the the show, so, the series so far. We are up to three episodes so far um, that, that we've seen. The first three by the time we record this, um, there will be. If you haven't heard, the, if you haven't seen the series at all, there will be some mild spoilers ahead, but. We're really mainly talking about what happens in the comic books. Um, so we're very excited about doing that. Um, it's an exciting time. Like, this is the summer. And we always have some extra cool things going on in the summer. That's why we, we switched around to Morbius. Um, on a, we, we changed on a dime to get that in there. We've got massive bonus episode. Um, more than one coming up uh, in the next uh, in the next July and August. Stay tuned to the end of the show when we're going to announce the next episode, which is going to be another blockbuster and ties in with a Thor movie. And don't forget, this is the last month you guys can get your hands on Marvel vs. Marvel t-shirts. Um, do the right thing. Contribute, don't just consume. Rep your favourite Marvel podcast you can wear it while you're listening to the show while you're reading marvel comics while you're watching marvel movies at the cinema head to offworldtees.com slash mvm offworldtees.com slash mvm will let's dig into these questions that you've got okay i might as well uh, start with the big one and go from there so obviously we've spoken about it already there has been a lot of talk about Kamala's powers being changed when they made the series. So, as a, a, as a man <coughs> powered by ignorance, 
wearing a t-shirt that says powered by ignorance just so everybody <laughs> knows he's powered by ignorance what are her powers like in the comics um nothing to do with uh a bangle okay and nothing to do with being able to create light hard light or crystal light or whatever yeah. we've seen so far um, Kamala Khan's powers are um, well. Her most well-known power is is kind of stretchy, stretchy elongation. Well, I'm, I'm not sure that's quite stretchy, true. Stretchy. She can she can stretch her body, okay, and she can enlarge. She can grow. Hmm. She can grow to a giant size, okay, and she can shrink to a small size. She. It's almost like combining Mr. Fantastic and Ant-Man's powers. Okay. Ant-Man slash Giant-Man's powers. Mm. Take a look at the image I've sent you. So, when she grows, as she grows in size, she grows in strength, like like Giant-Man does. Mm. Kamala will be able to, as you can see in this picture, she has a stretchy arm and then giant-sized fists to give her the strength she needs to... Shoot that arm out, bend around a corner, smack someone, knock down a wall or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But it looks freaky. It's yeah. very freaky looking because the proportions of her body are are out of proportion. Yeah. Um it's a very cartoonish power. It looks very cartoony. Yeah. And multiple characters throughout the series refer to the way she, her powers work as being and looking gross. It's a bit weird when you first see it because i saw the uh, the a walkthrough on youtube of the avengers game and when she's punching things to get 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 out of the way or punching enemies like her fists are growing huge and i'm like whoa what's going on there mm. yeah and 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 she when she like has long limbs and a long body it's almost it, it's almost always that she's very thin and and like almost paper thin and or thin and wiry in a way that like Mr. Fantastic Reed Richards is not drawn quite that way. Mm. Um, when asked about the this, the the, the change of, of powers, the the, the writer uh, G. Willow Wilson stated, "I think there are some characters who are very much set up for the big screen. They're very naturally sort of cinematic. But with Ms. Marvel, we really weren't interested in creating something that had a very obvious film potential." She's got very comic booky powers. God bless them trying to bring that to live action. I don't know how that's going to work out in a way that doesn't look really creepy. Um, <laughs> and I think that is behind the the transition away from those powers to something that's more uh, visual and cinematic. You know, makes more sense in our world. I think someone someone sent us a comment, um, not a full letter, but a comment that said it's almost like the uncanny valley in you know in in operation. Mm. Um, it it it's not that it looks. I don't quite have it right. It's not that it looks nearly real, but not quite. Yeah. It's it's the disproportionate nature of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this to me. It's her, her. Her powers are very important in the comics to the stories they're trying to tell. Mm. Trying, trying to tell the, 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 it has layers. So, Kamala is a teenager 
who goes through this big change in her body and suddenly feels gross about it. Mm. She feels gross about the changes her body is going through. A perfect analogy for going through adolescence, for puberty. Parts of your body growing before you're ready for it. Mm. Feeling like your body is betraying you, (laughs) making you stand out more, getting unwanted attention. Um, And I think that's such a brilliant... A bit of layered metaphor. Yeah. Um, yeah, It it takes Kamala two years or so until the very end of the first Ms. Marvel series before she's comfortable enough with her powers that she actually says, oh, yeah, I used to feel really gross about it all, but I'm kind of comfortable with it now. This is is how I am. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, she she grows. She can grow big and get strength, and she can stretch, and um, she has a healing factor. She can heal from bullet wounds, um, but it tires her out. She's not like a Wolverine or anything like that. Um, and I think she can't use she can't use her her stretchy powers or her grown powers when she's healing. If that makes sense, she has to kind of go back to a normal, um, a normal starting position. Okay, heal and then use a power. Right, so there's extra steps <clears throat> with a re- with a resetting basically. Yeah. yeah. She can also shape shift, or at least she can at the start. Um, she can look like other people. When Ooh. when she, when Kamala first gains these powers, these abilities, she wakes up and has unconsciously or subconsciously transformed herself into an exact double of Karen Danvers <laughs> in the original Ms. Marvel costume, okay. which is how the Ms. Marvel thing gets stuck to her, mm. the name. And again, this has layers. Mm. Kamala's subconscious idea of what a hero should look like, or what a beautiful, powerful woman should look like, is a blonde white woman. Ah. Like this transformation in the early issues stands as a metaphor for what it can be like being a, a, a Desi girl, being a Pakistani-American, when the constant beauty standard in pop culture and media all around you is white. Mm. I think it stands as a metaphor for the for the difficulties of, of, of being like conditioned to see white women as the standard of beauty and fame and success, and struggling perhaps as a younger person to see that same beauty in yourself even if it's at a subconscious level even if it's not like an outright level you know kamala khan is not it's not a a silly ditzy or a or a, or, a, or a stupid person mm. you know but but you can still be plagued by these thoughts on a subconscious level um i think it can also be read as a metaphor for like first generation Immigrants trying to fit in, um, trying to be different things to the different people in their lives, having to shapeshift between different scenarios, social scenarios, whether it's the mosque or whether it's school or whether it's a party or whatever, trying to find the right shape that fits in with these different different worlds. Mm. And I also think it could be, it, it to me a little bit, it seems like it could be a metaphor for how Marvel have kind of failed. Yeah. Right? Okay. Like Kamala doesn't have a brown superhero yeah. to look up to. When 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 she's unconscious and she's got these new powers and her mind is taking on the, a form that she thinks fits these powers, she doesn't have um a, a cool powerful brown female or male kind of superhero to look up to because Marvel just have never given us that. And I think 
you know, she could only see herself as Carol Danvers because that's you know what she what she knows and stuff. And it's not to diminish the the the, the, the great relationship she kind of the fan girl relationship she has with Carol Danvers, but it's almost why like Kamala has to smash the barriers down and become the first of 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 um, of what she wants to see in the world. Oh, absolutely, that's very important. Okay, so you've mentioned before that there is no magic bangle giving her powers like there is in the TV show. So, in the comics, how does Kamala become Ms. Marvel? <coughs> Excuse me. That's all right. Stop that. Ooh. Drives me up the goddamn wall. <laughs> um, one... Okay, so she goes to... She, she kind of... Ducks out. She she disobeys her parents and she goes. She sneaks out the house and she goes to a party. Mm. Um, and she doesn't have a great time at the party. She's kind of being um, a lot of microaggression mm. from the kind of the white kids that might not like her. About can you even be here? There's alcohol here, and they they actually trick her into drinking alcohol um and all that kind of that kind of um horrible stuff oh. and then this mysterious cloud of mist descends over over jersey kind of blankets jersey city um it's a colored strange mist um and kamala is ran off on her own and gets enveloped in in the mist and then the next thing we know she's inside a cocoon that has grown up around her um unconscious in in this cocoon and in this mist she has this vision of captain america iron man and captain marvel and they scold her for her disobedience um and not doing you know like this is why you're 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 in in trouble because you're you know you didn't listen to your parents and now look what's happened to you and they kind of ask her what she wants in life and Kamala says that she wants to be like Captain Marvel. She says she wants to be beautiful and awesome and book-kicking and less complicated. Um, and when the vision ends, however, however long later, she emerges from this cocoon mm. and she has literally transformed herself into this kind of the younger version of Carol Danvers in the, in the old Ms. Marvel costume. That's and that's all that Kamala knows to begin with. Ah, there's more. What we, if you're reading wider Marvel, know, and what Kamala will later find out, is that this is all to do with the Inhumans. So, <clears throat> the Inhumans are a secret um, sect of aliens that live apart from humanity, but usually near humanity on the moon a lot of the time. I think they originally lived up at the North Pole. Or maybe the Himalayas, I can't quite remember. Um, they are aliens who have altered um, DNA, which gives most of them a different individual power. They're an old race, but they're a small race. There are not many of them left. They're not really, they're an offshoot. That basically the Cree wanted super soldiers mm. and they experimented on a bunch of humans. To create super soldiers and created the Inhumans, right? Um, and then kind of abandoned them and left them alone. And this this group formed their own little society. They they don't have a world to call their own, but they form their own very um, strongly held culture. They have a royal family, King Black Bolt, 
who we saw in the uh, and don't give anything away when I, I, I say won't. this, I but we've seen Multiverse of Madness. King Black Bolt mm-hmm. appears in a different dimension. Um, he is the Lord and Ruler along with his his wife, Queen Medusa. They have a royal family. They have lots of different traditions observed. Some of their most sacred items are the Terrigen Crystals. They're a religious artifact. The Terrigen Crystals are able to, when they're exposed to water at the correct temperature and conditions, they create a vapour called the Terrigen Mist. Ah, okay. The mist creates, reacts with the DNA of the Inhumans and creates Terrigenesis. A cocoon builds up and you may emerge with a power or you may emerge deformed but you will emerge completely changed. It's, it's, it's a lottery. Yeah, that does sound it's like a, a big It's a risk. lottery. Yeah. But every child goes through it when they reach the right age. Mm. Um, it is part of their culture. <coughs> Thanos during a saga called Infinity, which is one of my least least favorite Marvel crossover events of all time, did not enjoy that series. Mm. But part of that story is Thanos coming to without getting too much into it, threaten to wipe out the inhuman. Every inhuman child. Thanos threatens to kill, to end the Inhumans. They're under serious threat of extinction. King Black Bolt detonates a bomb, Mm. releasing Terrigen Mist into the Earth's atmosphere. And as he does that, it is revealed that, unbeknownst to most of his people, there have been secret sects, secret individuals of Inhumans living amongst humans for decades living quiet lives marrying, having families and reproducing so there are amongst the the regular human population humans with inhuman ancestry that carry that gene that can react to the terogenesis, to the terogen mists so the mist then spreads around the world and some lots of different people in the in the, in, in Marvel in and Marvel's Earth go into these cocoons and emerge transformed, incredible, with powers. Now that might sound a little similar to X Men. It does. It does sound incredibly like X Men. It's believed by many that. At this time, Marvel were trying to minimise the X-Men because they didn't own the movie rights. Oh. because And they didn't want to be producing comic books that essentially advertise characters for a competitor's studio. Yes, that that, that makes sense. So they, the, this is around the same time that the Fantastic Four, just they stopped making Fantastic Four comics. They, the Fantastic Four went to another dimension. They were not seen again for years. Mm. Around the same time, they basically just minimised the X-Men completely. And consensus seems to be that Marvel were trying to replace the Inhumans... Sorry, replace the mutants with Inhumans. You know, and, and use them in the, in, the, in the same way that they would normally use mutants. Okay, wow. So obviously... Uh, no need for a magic bangle in the comics uh, at all. I mean, is is but is is there any kind of bangle magic or non magic in the comics? Because I saw something Come on, on a picture. I, I saw something. 
Yeah, she has. Um, it's where she keeps her costume. No way. It's, it's it's like the silver Silver Age Flash. Yeah, kept his costume can compressed and hidden in his flash signet ring that you wore. Amazing. And he would move at super speed. I, I, you know, he's a scientist, so he had a way of doing it, a solution, or it was made of a certain material. And he would press his ring, and the costume would 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 come out ever so tiny, but then he'd super speed unravel it, put the costume on. Kamala has um, kind of compa- a, comp- a bracelet with different compartments in it. Mm. Um, a series of, of bangles and things with there. So Bruno, uh, her best friend, has modified a, di- a, a series of different hollow um, bracelets she has um, into something she wears on her left arm to keep... Um, she can keep a costume in it when she's not wearing the costume and she can keep her phone and stuff in it when she's <laughs> when she's in costume. Yeah. Um, and it is revealed that the, 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 the bracelets were used by Kamala's great-grandmother to smuggle money out of Bombay during partition, which is something we've heard about yes. in, the, in, in the series. Yeah. Um, and they've been passed down, like, daughter and granddaughter and stuff. Um, now, we can talk about... And I don't. We don't know what's coming up in episode four and beyond, but since so much of Ms. Marvel is connected to the original Captain Marvel, and and by that means kind of the cosmic characters of Marvel, and there's a, I've seen a lot of talk about this as well. We need to talk about the Negabands. Mm. So the 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 Negabands are Kree weapons uh, uh, built by. The, the Kree military and awarded to Captain Marvel, the original Captain Marvel, Marvel, by the Kree Supreme Intelligence, um, and they give a lot of power, space flight, energy manipulation, um, and they can open portals, stargates to other places in space and perhaps even beyond. They they misfired and went wrong, um, and. Captain Marvel was trapped in a place called the Negative Zone, another alternate dimension. Um, and he was stuck there completely until, and please don't do the voice, <laughs> Rick Jones, who is the Hulk's in. friend, Captain America's friend. Rick Jones, um, when working with the Avengers, found the, the, the bracelets and found that when he bashed the bracelets together... He swapped places with Captain Marvel in the negative zone. He would summon Captain Marvel to take his place in our dimension, and Rick Jones would be left floating in the negative zone. And so for quite a while, that's how Captain Marvel operated. Um, A nod to the other Captain Marvel, known as Shazam, who was a young lad who swapped places with a superpowered hero called Captain Marvel. That's a whole other story. I, I, I don't want to give away too much, but the Kree are traditionally blue-skinned. The Negabands originate from the Kree. Maybe go back and look at some of the flashbacks we've seen in the first three episodes. That might be something you want to have a look at. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the Negabands have been wielded by 
several different cosmic characters over the years, including Captain Marvel's daughter. Um, and the Negabrands are based, so the Kree base a design on another cosmic weapon called the Quantum Bands. Um, they are unique cosmic weapons that can generate energy, manipulate energy, create everything that Negabands can do. But the, the Quantum Bands were the originators, and they are bestowed by Eon, a cosmic being called Eon, onto someone that Eon chooses to be the protector of the universe, which has been Captain Marvel in the past, but most famously they were worn by the cosmic hero Quasar, okay. who uh, who wore the quantum bands. So there are, there are these things knocking around. <laughs> Great. So obviously one of my favourite things about the show is Kamala's family playing quite a key role uh, I'll talk more about that later absolutely adore them uh, I take it her family are pretty much like that in the original comics right yeah like that, like that first kind of family scene yeah. with the family all around the table and everything that's taken almost directly from the comics oh, lovely. Um, some, of the, some of the dialogue is word for word from issue one <coughs> the, the, the characterizations are you know the roles are pretty similar. Kamala's brother is very, very devout and doesn't have much going on other than the mosque and stuff like that. And his dad is kind of like, "When are you going to get a job?" Um, <laughs> in the comics, her parents are warm and loving, but they also do not get Kamala. They don't get the fandom. Yeah, and they, I'd say, they're a little stricter in the comics. Okay, a little more conservative. Um. They they want to raise Kamala the way they want to raise her is at odds with the things that you know socializing in parties and having a boyfriend and mm. and and stuff like that. Um, there was that that great article that Vox did on uh, Amanat. Um, she spoke uh, about you know the inspiration for these things. It said I wasn't allowed to go to prom with a date. Um, Amanat said my mom was like how dare you think you're going to go with a boy absolutely not um i couldn't find a dress that was conservative enough i found some material and just kind of wrapped it around my body i made a skirt out of it i pinned it i made a very homemade dress and went to prom with that the article says despite her craftsmanship the experience only reminded amanat of the entrenched ways american culture otherizes those who do not nearly do not neatly fit into its molds i had to constantly live with two different lives and trying to navigate it like why can't i go to the prom with a boy why do i need to wrap this cloth around my body Mm. first and second generation americans perform a balancing act of respecting and embracing their culture that is key to understanding the marvel cinematic universe's first muslim superhero and her boundless, colourful imagination. Ms. Marvel celebrates Kamala's fantastical inner life in a way that pushes the boundaries of her culture's expectations while rebelling against the grey-hued colour tones and dark visual language that has come to define the MCU. Um, and that's kind of where uh, Kamala comes from, really, that that, 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 that experience that Amanat was having. Um in the in the in the very first Ms. Marvel series, mm. the Kamala Ms. Marvel series, whilst Kamala is always disobeying her parents, um, like in in secret and sneaking out and all that kind of stuff, her 
actions are almost always guided by something her parents have said to her by her parents teachings the the lessons that they teach her of how to be a good person Mm. and how to help others and how to stand up for yourself those are the lessons that guide kamala into being ms marvel so there's there's a good there's a good dichotomy there okay that's that's good where she is disobeying however (laughs) as she's doing it she's like but my dad always said this, and this is what I've got to do. I take it the the friend her friendship group is similar to the comics too. Yeah, yeah, pretty similar. Bruno and, and Nakia are pretty similar, really. The comics make a little bit more out of Bruno being the child of Italian immigrants, and so he has his own. Uh, not it, it, it's not as pronounced because the other he's not quite as other because he is white yeah and he is also a, a, a guy but there is there is you know there's another culture and the religion and all that stuff for him to navigate um he's very he's very very much kind of like teenage love with his in, in teenage love with his best friend um and so that's that's a, a constant source of you know tribulations for them um zoe uh you know the character who's kind of like the teenage antagonist slightly she's a a streamer or a vlogger yeah in in the in the series that hasn't quite happened yet in 2014 streaming and vlogging yes yeah but she commits an awful lot more passive aggressive microaggressions towards kamala Mm. and 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 nakia like asking nakia who is making you wear that head that headscarf? Mm. Um, is someone is someone making you look like that and wear that? You know, um, insisting no one invite them to parties because they'll be alcohol at the parties, and just doing lots of things to other them. A lot a lot more outward uh, outward aggressions than we see in 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 the series so far. Anyway, yeah. Um, and then there's um, the the boy that, that that Kamala has a crush on, Cameron. Mm. Um, in the comic books, his introduction is pretty similar. Um, the big difference is that he's he's a he seems so far like quite a sweet kid in the series who doesn't quite know what's going on. In the comic books, he's a real jerk. He he breaks Kamala's um, boundaries with like socialization and dating, uh, which makes her feel betrayed and taken advantage of. Um, and then it turns out that he is also an inhuman. Ah, okay. And he's actually part of this um this group of new inhumans that are trying to um violently overthrow the the royal family, take control of the inhumans as a as a whole and, you know, think of themselves as being above humans. Wow. Um, and, and yeah, Cameron's wrapped up in that. One thing I, about her friends uh, it was quite interesting to read from other people because um, I, 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 I've, I've got some friends who are, are, are of Pakistani descent, and what and the, the common thing I heard was like they, that the show's got a, a Pakistani family down to a T. They said absolutely <laughs> spot on, apart from one thing: they would not let her hang around with a white boy. <laughs> Oh really? It was like no, they would. That would not happen. <laughs> I found that to be the most funny sort of running th- feedback on it. I I did I did like how Bruno is essentially adopted by that 
by uh, by the family in that. Oh, I love that. It was he, nice. He, it was nice. He builds he builds a, a version of Alexa that speaks Urdu yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it's nice. It's really nice. Um, also, we've not seen a Marvel series set in Joyzy City before. <laughs> one more time on that one. Joyzy. Jersey, Jersey City, really bad. I know. I, I've actually there's another comedian. There I know. Go. She's from New Jersey, and every time I attempt a Sopranos style voice, she gets so angry with me, and it's like that's not New Jersey. Anyway, uh, Jersey City um, is 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 that an important part of them as Marvel comics? Uh, this place, yeah, hugely. I mean, okay. the t- the TV series does, I think, an amazing job of portraying. This community, and it's—I think it's one of the best. I don't think we've seen a commu- community really being portrayed in a, in any of the Marvel stuff we've no, seen. No, no, no. Um, but the community is kind of like Kamala's extended family, mm. um, and like family friends from the mosque. There's less of that in the comics, but way more of her school and like just other other people, neighbors, and other people that run the local shops and live in 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 kind of her neighborhoods of her neighborhood kind of area of Jersey City. Um, and Ms. Marvel immediately becomes like the she's the only hero of Jersey City, mm. and so she's quickly embraced by by the the citizens and the neighbors and all that as someone who stands up for the little guy. And um, there are. Battles and threats to, to to Jersey, and we see Kamala is backed up and supported by these kind of small characters we've met along the way. Now, yeah. some of them, some of them are not good guys, but they kind of go, well, you know, some of them are, you know, looters and stuff like that. But they all kind of come together in this kind of, well, we're all neighbors, and this is threatening everyone. There's kind of a solidarity spirit going on, and it is. Uh, um, yeah, G G Willow Wilson has talked about this about because she's born and raised in New Jersey, not Jersey City, but New Jersey. About like it, Jersey City is like the sixth borough. It's over the it's over the the it's over the Hudson from Manhattan. Yeah, it's yeah. the little brother or little sister or whatever. And she said it's 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 it forms an important part of Kamala's identity and and the. The idea of like um, Jersey is a second string city, and Miss Marvel is a second string hero. Mm. That's important. Um, Manhattan is where all the other heroes live and work and operate, and all like her hero lives in in Manhattan. Kamala can't live in Manhattan; she's living in Jersey City. She's second string. Um, Yeah, in 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 the in the second series of Miss Marvel. Kamala comes back from like this big, huge cosmic battle and discovers a greater threat than she's ever met before in New Jersey. Uh, in New Jersey, in Jersey City, gentrification. A, a faceless corporation with some high-tech stuff has swooped in, bought up older buildings, pushed locals out, become very and a very aggressive program. There's a lot of, um, again, microaggressions to... Uh, anyone in the area, but especially one who is white um, and looks like they're poor and all of that, and and it, 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 it's a story that kind of explores how gentrification is always afflicting immigrants, first and second generation, and all of that, people of color, and pushing them out. But there's you know high tech stuff, and it's a very Marvel way of of exploring that. 
Ah, I, I re, I'd re really, uh, really interested in reading that because I'm fascinated by gentrification's effect on society. You can't. You're not allowed. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I thought you said you you can't have opinions about gentrification. Will you live in Zone Two in London? <laughs> <laughs> you you your life is dependent on. You're gentrif- part of the problem. I I, I, I really am actually because I, uh, I I live in a uh, council flat uh, that was built in the sixties, and. Me and the wife were like, oh, you know, it's such a nice flat. And I sort of turned around and went, yeah, it's really weird because without without Margaret Thatcher, we wouldn't have this flat. And it's like, oh, Mm. you know, that kind of ethical grey area. And it's like, oh, okay, fair enough. Is it grey? Is it (laughs) grey? Hey, let me me cling on to some grey. I don't want to be in the bad here. No, look, selling off housing stock is all very well and good to to allow people to own their own homes. It's great if you're going to replenish that housing stock with more affordable houses. That's the other half of the equation the Conservatives in this country never do. Rant over. That was the smallest rant, but I loved it. Effective. Anyway, (coughs) a lot of trouble is being stirred up by uh, the government agency in the TV show. The Department for Damage Control. Uh, I think I think they've popped up before, haven't they? Yeah, they, 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 there's this funny comic in the '90s called Damage Control. Mm. It's a construction company that that specialises in repairing property damage caused by superhero battles. Mm-hmm. You know, someone knocking around at Marvel Game with this funny idea, and and yeah, it, it's pitched as it's a lot of fun. It's almost like a work-based sitcom as a comic book. But the thing is, with super- it, it's like it's it's a funny idea, but it's actually incredibly practical to have that yeah, kind of absolutely. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was it's a lot of fun. Like at uh, one stage, Tony Stark and Wilson Fisk are fifty-fifty owners, mm. um, and That's some weird. behind the behind the scenes back and forth yeah. on that. Um, and uh, yeah, it it. it it didn't last very long in the 90s. It re-emerged in the 2000s and then beyond as like a backdrop, a background organisation, like a backdrop. It may be referenced here and there. Um, sometimes it has slightly sinister kind of government connections, but not all the time. Mm. Um, it is like there was a period after the comic book it's not a 90s series at all what we're talking about it's an 80s series there is a crossover event Wilson Fisk is part of called Acts of Vengeance where all these superheroes uh, supervillains attack all these superheroes at the same time and that causes a lot of devastation and at the end of it it's revealed that Fisk made an absolute killing thanks to damage control (laughs) because he organised all these um, these big super battles I was about to I, say, I, if he's going to have 50% interest in, in it, he's going to definitely make it work in his favour. Sure. Um, I, I think in the in in the TV show, though, they are Department for Damage Control, because it's not a government agency in the comics. Mm. In, the, in, in, in the MCU, it's being used now, certainly in this, in this series, it's used as like a stand-in for Department of Homeland Security. Um, especially now as they are raiding mosques and community centres looking for, um, you know, brown terrorists, which is what they're kind of looking for, essentially. That's very much the vibe I get from it. Mm. So, yeah, very different. Very very different, very different. Uh, Lastly, obviously without giving too much away, because, you know, be careful, Rob, is there anything you could tell us 
about the jinn in the Marvel Universe. <clears throat> One of the different names that in that series is said for the jinn, the, the, the jinn. I'll say jinn. Known jinn. Yeah, but I'm trying to pronounce the D without pronouncing the D, the jinn. Because if you say it incorrectly, you're just like, oh, jinn, as in the drink? Yeah. One of the other names they were known as, mm. it said, was clandestine. Ooh. Which made me very, very weirdly pleased because it is a very, very obscure reference. Way back in 1994, when I was 11 years old, legendary British writer and artist Alan Davis, who's sort of best known for his work on Captain Britain and Excalibur for Marvel and, and, and Batman and the Outsiders for DC, he created a new series of characters for Marvel, a family the clan Destine. Um, <laughs> Destine being the family name. Um, an extended family of, of, of super people with extremely long lives who hide their true nature from the world. Hence, clandestine. Um, so we, we are introduced to, uh, well, let's do it this way. Adam of uh, Ravenscroft's born sort of in the... the Saxon England, way back mm. then, Norman Norman conquerors and all of that. He's um, a regular fella, regular young lad, and then he's accidentally impaled on a scythe, Ooh. but doesn't die. He very Highlander esque. Yeah, he uh, recovers after a dream about a strange inhuman woman. Uh, he's renamed Adam of the Destine by the town who felt he is destined for greatness. Um, he goes on and, and has a, quite a long life for the time, fights in many battles and wars and is never injured and feels that there is a... The woman he had a, a vision of is protecting him. This, this, this. He says it's a fairy or something. Mm. Um, he gets into a ruckus with a greedy wizard, <laughs> whose name I'm not going to bother to pronounce. Um, and the wizard uh, comes very, very close to killing him. And the the very last thing that Adam does with the last breath in his body is he grabs the wizard's source of power, a crystal, shatters it, mm. and releases the being inside, a djinn called Alaleth. Okay. A beautiful female-looking djinn. Um, Alaleth uses her powers to... Well, it's, it's, it's hinted that she's been using her powers for years to keep Adam alive and manoeuvring him into this position where he fights the wizards because she foresaw he would free her. Yeah. Um, she uses her... When she's free, she restores Adam to, 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 to health and essentially makes him immortal and invulnerable. Okay. And they become lovers and um, husband and wife. And over the years, they... Well, the, the centuries, they have many children, all of whom... Inherit superhuman powers, different superhuman powers, um, and all become extremely long lived. You assume immortal, but you don't know. Um, and all of them have to hide their abilities from the rest of the world. Um, so they constantly are moving around, passing themselves off as their own descendants, and things like that. Um, after a series of, like tragedies. The, the in the twentieth century that the family fall apart completely mm. and they break up, um, 
and a lot of their secrets and their protocols for how to how to inherit your own wealth again and how to go with a new identity and all that sort of stuff a lot of those things get lost the comic book series starts with two teenage twins rory and pandora discovering they have superhuman powers Mm. and because they live in the marvel universe they assume that they are mutants because the family has split up they haven't seen them they don't know their true nature at all so they go, oh, cool, we're mutants, and we're teenagers, we love mutants, we're going to become superheroes. So they go out as the Crimson Crusader and Imp with costumes, and they decide to fight crime behind their parents' backs, And um, but their every adventure brings attention to the to, to the destined family um which is not good and that sets up a sequence of events mm. that kind of brings all the family back together real fun series it, it lasted less than a year before it was cancelled um the the clan has returned a few a handful of times but only really when alan davis has wanted to come back to marvel and 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 write their stories um they were not so popular or interesting that Marvel had other writers do things with them. I think elements of this series can be seen in in popular modern things like the Umbrella Academy um, and the Boys and stuff. Um, yeah, it's kind of a f- it's kind of a fun series, and it was a pop for me when I when I when I heard that name yeah. uh, being brought up. That's the only gin I can think of in 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 Marvel. Um and um yeah, so there are some interesting threads through. We think of Negabands and Stargates and extra dimensional travel, and we think of the djinn and the clandestine. So there we have it. Questions asked and answered. Any more questions about the series, drop us a line. Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com or you can tweet us at Marvel versus on Twitter. I'd like to know, Will, without giving away any major spoilers, what have you enjoyed about this series so far, three episodes in? I, I There's so much to choose from because I, I, I don't want to like use superlatives and, and gush too much, but I, I, I think I say this each time Disney Plus brings out a new Marvel TV series. But I think this is the best one so far. It's really good, isn't it? It's really good. Unbelievably good. And we've talked about this, uh, and I feel so strongly about it. Like, the series would be still be brilliant if it had nothing to do with superheroes, if it was just... 100%. Just a, a comedy, dramedy, uh, romantic comedy, or whatever, about... A coming of age story of a teen who lives in America, but with, with uh, in, in a Muslim family. Everything, every interaction with them is great to watch. I, 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 I there was one scene in the first episode that I think resonated with a lot of people, and it was just incredible the way it played out because they won't let her go to superhero. Her parents won't let, let Kamala go to superhero con or Avenger con, whatever it's called. And she's planning to go dressed as uh, Captain Marvel, and they don't like the idea of dressing up as Captain Marvel because it's almost too sexualized and whatnot. But they sort of relent a bit and say, you can go to this, but you, your dad's got a chaperone you, and we made you a Hulk costume. And then the dad comes in, all enthusiastic, dressed as the Hulk, and she says, I don't want to do that. And 
the look the dad gave, absolutely crestfallen, not angered at, at not angered at, at his child, just crestfallen, like he's he's tried to connect and it's gone so bad. I oh, I, I I had tears in my eyes because that was such a well played out <clears throat> moment. Um, yeah, I, I I love the I love the family dynamic. And every now and again, it does remind you that it's a superhero show. And then you get these little bits where it's like, oh, she's got to do things with her powers now. Uh, and that's great. And it's slowly revealing things uh, happening. Uh, another another great thing is, like, obviously, we'll talk a, a little bit into this uh, when we get onto Black Panther as well. It's, it's great to see um, superheroes and stuff from, from a different cultural background. And the running theme uh, seems to be, Oh yeah, our culture has some very <laughs> horrible past with the British, and it's always like I'm. A- oh we're, yeah, we're the bad guys and everything, aren't we? <laughs> we're just we're so evil. But like um, when it, when it, when they were talking about the partition, uh, I had never heard about this. But it's one of those things that you kind of imagine happened. But you don't you didn't know if there was a proper name for it. So I researched and went, oh no. More bad things. Oh, yeah. We did. We just we've decided this is a country. This and this is a. We're going to tell you where countries are now. Yeah, uh, and and yeah. they're telling about the, how they got <clears throat> separated from families. That they people went missing and everything, and the stress mm. that it caused, and, and, and people dying. And you know, they're just going, "Oh my god!" This. I mean, there's. It's horrible, but there's this kind of like. When other the, like the, the the parents' friends are talking to each other about like this shared thing they all you know their families went through, it's it's so encouraging to see that, that you know we're still persisting despite going through this horrible thing. We're still mm. here. We've got our children. We have got our families. We have got our community. We've got each other. This we're happy now, and it's and I always always love seeing that uh, in these kind of shows. But yeah. Um, what have I enjoyed? What have I enjoyed most about it? I, I can't decide. I I love absolutely everything about it. It's everything about it's been pitch perfect. It's it's been wonderful, hasn't it? I, yeah. I I don't know how they're going to uh, involve it in the wider MCU, but right now it's doing the wonderful thing of acknowledging the wider MCU, but not including too much. There's been, I haven't really seen any cameos yet, uh, which has been really interesting. I, I'd imagine. We'd have to get Carol Danvers by the end of the series. Oh, I might, yeah, just I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I, I, um, I, think... I think we'll see the integration with the the Marvels movie, where we get essentially the three Marvels coming together. Um, that'll be interesting and fun. Um, favorite slice of trivia from this episode, Will? That uh, you've you've learned from the Marvel comics? Uh, favorite slice of trivia? It might be the Bangles. Because I, I like the fact that the Bangles are this, this main MacGuffin of, of of the series. But it's like, oh, even in the comics, even though they weren't the main thing, they were actually quite useful. Very useful. Put your phone in there. Yeah, and and then going yeah. like, oh, if I was a woman, I'd have that. That would be yeah. so cool. <clears throat> um, reading list from this episode, um, it's, it's pretty simple, really. Ms. Marvel, Volume 1, No Normal. Um, go and check it out. It's uh, it's really great. If you want to try and check out Clandestine, be my guest. I don't know if it was ever collected. Um, if it is, it would be very difficult to hold to get hold of. Um, but that was fun. But uh, yeah, Ms. Marvel Volume One, no normal. Um, 
It's sold 500,000 copies. It's incredible. Um, don't forget to get hold of your T-shirts. It's the last month you're able to do that. Offworldtees.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Next episode, folks. Blockbuster season rolls on here. It's the summer of Marvel versus Marvel. To tie into the release of Thor Love and Thunder, me and Will take a special look at the very first on-screen appearance of Marvel's Thor. The first time he hit his screens, a TV movie from 1988 featuring the Hulk and Thor teaming up for the very first time. Bill Bixby, Lufarengo, some uh, Viking warriors. It's the Incredible Hulk Returns. Don't miss it. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please take the time to like us, rate us, subscribe, leave an awesome review, give us five stars. Why not recommend us to a friend that loves Marvel? Don't forget you can get your t-shirts from offworldtees.com slash mvm. And for bonus episodes, head over to patreon.com slash marvel vs. marvel. <laughs>